Hey, we're back, and I am so grateful for you. Thanks so much for taking time out of your day today to listen to this incredible episode. And when I say incredible, you guys, I never, if you've been following me, I never, well, I hardly ever have men on my podcast. It has to be a really good one. And today is a gift. This guest is truly remarkable. You are going to hang on his every word. Your fire inside you is going to explode. You will be ignited in so many ways to want to just run after your goals and cut the BS out. Because when you're climbing higher, you have to be aware of what brings you down. And today, this episode and this conversation is really going to empower you to keep taking those steps upward and forward without letting the negativity and the excuses drag you down. So I can't wait for you to tune in. Get ready. Take some notes. I'm telling you, take the pen and paper out. If you're driving, you're going to have to screenshot the places where you want to re-listen because there's so many good golden nuggets here. And I'm so thankful for this guy that came on my show who has become a friend now. And one more thing, ladies, if you're looking for a faith-based community, the doors are open for the Addicted to the Climb membership. It's already on fire. So many amazing women in this community coming together to build our faith, our fitness, our health. We are meeting twice a month for extremely amazing trainings and special guests coming in to teach you all the things so you can climb higher and be that fulfilled, happy woman God created you to be. So enjoy this episode. Listen, DM me. Tell me how much you loved it. Share it screenshot it, put it on social so other people can just keep climbing. I'll see you guys soon. Have an amazing week ahead. Welcome to Addicted to the Climb. I am your host, Kelly Tyen. As a faith-fueled health and transformation coach, author, and breast cancer survivor, my mission is to provide you with the wisdom, the tools, and all the success tips that I've learned along my own journey in health, fitness, faith, and personal development. Plus, you'll hear some incredible and inspiring conversations that will motivate you and empower you to keep on climbing no matter what you're going through. Let's buckle up to start a brand new climb together and start showing up differently as we work our way to the top. Right now, this is your time to take in all the positivity and all the blessings that God has for you. So let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to Addicted to the Climb. I am very excited about my show today because as most of you know that have been listening, and if you're new here, welcome, but I rarely bring on men. I've had, I think, four men on my show. So you know they have to be rock star status. And today is one of those days, which I am, again, really excited because right away, I love his vibe, his high energy, his teaching style, and just what he's about. He really fits the addicted to the climb model. So get your notebook out, get ready to take some 
really great notes and some tips that you can incorporate into your life today. So without further ado, I am going to welcome Dre Baldwin to the show. Welcome, Dre. Kelly, I am excited to be here. Thank you for the, the intro. Hopefully I can live up to the building. Yes, of course. Well, before we jump in, let me just tell you a couple of things about Dre. Dre is the CEO and founder of Work On Your Game. He has given four TED Talks and has authored 33 books. He's had a nine-year professional basketball career playing in eight countries. His framework is the roadmap in reverse for professional mindset, strategy, and systems. So I love all that you're doing. As I said, I really am excited. I love your energy online. You guys are going to have to follow him. I'll put his links in the show notes. But Dre, let's talk about the beginning. So how did you get here today? Give us a rundown of your journey. Sure, I'll give you the I'll give you three minute version. So uh, come oh. from the city of come from the city of Philadelphia, PA. Uh, now I live in Miami, Florida. I was always into sports growing up. You know, played a little bit of football, then a little bit of baseball. Eventually migrated to basketball by around age fourteen. I don't know how much into sports your audience is, but by fourteen, it's pretty late to get into a sport if you're trying to go somewhere, like playing college, let alone play the pros. But uh, that's what the situation. Uh, only played one year of high school basketball. Sat the bench that one year. I scored two points per game. So anyone who knows basketball, two points is not a lot. And in soccer or hockey, you'd be in the Hall of Fame with two points. But in basketball, you're at the end of the bench. So uh, sat the bench in high school. Went to college, but I was not recruited. So that means no coaches were checking for me. I went to a college and I literally had to walk on playing basketball, which means you are literally walking into the gym as a nobody and you try to play your way onto the team, which I was able to do, but I was only playing at the division three level. So again, anyone who knows sports division three is the third tier of sports. So March madness or the college football championship, that's division one. Then you had division two, which most people don't know. And then division three down in the basement, that's where I was. So coming out of the division three school, I still want to play pro basketball. I played in college, but I still want to play pro ball. Didn't have anyone checking for me then again. So I kind of had to sell myself to get into pro basketball. So my first year out of college, give everybody a frame here because this matters. This is 2004. I graduated from college. So my first year out of school, I worked a couple of quote unquote regular jobs. I worked at Foot Locker as an assistant manager. I worked at a gym called Bally Total Fitness selling memberships. Uh, Bally's out of business now, but not because of me. I sold a lot of memberships. But uh, in the summer of 2005, so this is a year removed from graduating from college, I still had not played any pro ball yet. I went to an event called an exposure camp. Kelly, you familiar with those? Ever heard of them? Yes. Okay, so in exposure camps, they're more prevalent now, but back then they were relatively new. And back then it was a exposure camps like a job fair for athletes. So you pay money to actually go to this event and for an opportunity to show yourself. Now, unlike a job fair, a sports exposure camp, you actually bring your sneakers and you actually play your sport against a bunch of other people who also think they're good enough to play pro. And you're all just trying to impress. And audience is not just random people. These are agents, coaches, scouts, managers from all over the world. They come to these events as a destination event to try to find the next talent. So it's kind of like a casting call in a way. So I paid money to go to this event and paid my last. I actually had to save up $250. I had to pay it in cash because I didn't have a bank account or a credit card at this point. I'm 23 years of age. I had to negotiate with my boss at Valley Total Fitness to get three days off to drive. We went from Philly to Orlando. So anyone who doesn't know the geography, that's about a 15-hour drive. We rented a car in Philly, drove from Philly to Orlando, and we got out the car at 9 a.m. Saturday morning. Now, the camp started at 9 a.m. Saturday morning, so I can get away with that at age 23. Probably couldn't do it now, but I did it then. Uh, 
hopped out the car, played two days. The camp was only two days long, and we played four games, two games each day. I impressed at the camp, got a good scouting report, and I got the footage. So that was what I leveraged to get my first basketball agent. My agent was the connect who knew people overseas. I had barely been out of the state of Pennsylvania, let alone out of the country. So I didn't know anybody overseas. My agent knew people overseas. I sold myself to get an agent. The agent helped me get on uh, to play pro ball. So I signed my first contract in the summer, late summer 2005, playing Countess Lithuania. That's how I got started in basketball. Now, the reason why I gave you that frame of time is because the footage from that exposure camp Kelly was on, this was not uh, on online. This was on a device called a VHS tape. You remember those? <laughs> of course. I should. Okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, okay, so. yes. I, I mean, I am old. <laughs> okay. So any, anyone who doesn't know what that is, any millennials or Gen Zers listening to yeah. this, ask your parents or your, your grandparents <laughs> or your uncle or Google it and you'll, you'll see what a VHS tape is. So it was basically your footage, but a physical device. You had to actually have the device. So I had that VHS tape and I knew that I didn't want to just have, because this is the most important footage I owned. This footage of me playing at this camp because I'm playing against other pro level guys. These are not division three players. These are pro level players. And I was playing well. So I needed this. So I heard of this, this new website, Kelly, that said you can put as much footage as you want on here for free on the Internet. And it doesn't matter how much you put. It doesn't we don't charge you for it. It was called YouTube.com. So I took that VHS tape. I took it to an audio visual store. They transferred the VHS footage onto a data CD, put the data CD into my parents' desktop computer and I uploaded it to YouTube. And that's how I got started on the Internet. Now, all of my material from 2005 to about 2015 was all basically basketball stuff. So I had a bunch of basketball players who you know, know me from back then with the basketball material. And while at the same time I'm doing this, I'm putting footage on putting footage on YouTube. I'm also playing overseas. So about 2009, I'm going to make all this connect, by the way, I found myself uh, unemployed in basketball. OK, so I'm unemployed. I didn't have a job. I was a free agent waiting for the phone to ring. Now, I'm still going to the gym, working out every day. I'm putting videos on YouTube sporadically because between 2005, 2009, if you're a blogger or a YouTuber, what were you? You were like a, a bum who needed to get a real job and you know, move out of your parents' basement, right? That's how people looked at you back then. So I had videos on YouTube, but it didn't matter, right? There's no money to be made from doing that. But at this time, I just finished reading a new book called The Four-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, which was kind of like the the digitized version with the same principles of a book I had read about 10 years earlier, which was Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Now, both of these authors have been talking about entrepreneurial principles. And when I read those books, it planted seeds in my mind that I don't know exactly what these guys are talking about. I couldn't have explained it back then, Kelly, but I knew I wanted to do it. I said, and when I read Robert Kiyosaki back in the early 2000s, I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to play basketball first, and then I'm going to do that, whatever he's talking about. And then when I read Tim Ferriss, he was using the same principles, but he was talking about it in the digitized world because he had the internet. So in 2009, when I found myself unemployed, I asked myself a very good question, Kelly, and it was the following. How can I combine three things? Playing basketball with doing something that I'm actually good at, in addition to basketball, and having control of it to make money. One, two, three. How can I do all three at the same time? And the answer to that question was, well, Dre, look at the internet. Right? Now on the internet, you can kind of do your own thing. You can combine basketball with, you know, you can talk, you can write, you can make your own website, and possibly, based on the things I heard from Tim Ferriss, you can sell your own products. So that's what I started doing. I started creating my own products to sell. And my first product was a $4.99 training program for basketball players to learn how to dribble the basketball. That's how I got started in entrepreneurship. That's how I became an entrepreneur. And uh, we sold a lot of those products because I just used my YouTube channel, which was all basketball players watching me how to play basketball. 
I just would make a video, say, hey, if you like this, get my training program over here. And I would just sell products. And we sold thousands of products for a few years before uh, YouTube changed their algorithm on us because they didn't like people doing that. But that worked <laughs> for a few years. Yeah. So I kept playing basketball at this point. I played overseas till 2015. The phone eventually did ring again. And here's the other thing that happened in 2000, around 2010, Kelly. These players, they would ask me questions about my background because here's this random guy. I mean, you're not LeBron James. You're not Kobe. We never heard of you before, but you clearly know how to play basketball and you know how to explain it. Where'd you come from? Where'd you play at? Who taught you? you know, who do you play for now? So I would just answer those questions in the comments. Now, this is back before. I wouldn't recommend everybody going to comment section on YouTube these days. But back then, I used to respond to all the comments. I would engage in the comments. I still do to this day. I'm that type of person. But uh, these players, once they saw my background, they said, well, wow. Um, why did you keep showing up to the gym every day when you weren't even making the team in high school? Or how would you get the confidence to keep showing up? How did you get the confidence to put yourself out there and perform at your best, even when you knew you only had one shot? You know, you play high school sports. You get one day to prove that you can make the team, right? You work out all year, but you get one day. You don't have a good day that one day is over. Or why did you keep trying? You know, you kept getting cut. You know, nobody around you thought you were going to make it. You're walking, you play one year high school, you walked on that D3 in college. Why did you think you could even play pro? Because that's kind of a crazy idea, if we're being honest. You got to be kind of, you got to be kind of out of your mind to even think that's possible. And when I started answering these questions, I used to make these videos every Monday, Kelly called the weekly motivation. I started doing this every Monday around 2010, simply because the basketball players kept asking me questions about mindset. So I just did it every Monday and I did the weekly motivation, just a two to five minute little selfie video before selfie videos were a thing. And this is before we had cameras on the phones, right? So this is a, a actual camera. So I got a phone over here, camera over here. And I did that every Monday for about 400 Mondays in a row. And those videos became the foundation of what I do now. Because what happened is two things. First of all, the basketball players would say to me, Dre, I know you're a basketball player, but you sound like a college professor. Or you sound like a philosopher, these things that you're saying. I thought these were just normal things. I thought everybody thought this way, but clearly they didn't. And then the other thing that happened, Kelly, was a bunch of people who didn't play basketball started finding those videos. And they would say, well, Dre, I don't play basketball, but I subscribe to you because I watch that video every Monday. All right, the stuff you put out Tuesday through Sunday is not for me. But on Monday, I watch that video. And that planted the seed. And I said, oh. I can serve people who don't play basketball. And I always knew that when, when you stop playing ball every day, you're not popular to the ball player. So you ask some 15 year old who plays basketball today about Dre Baldwin, they're like, who? But the people who were not playing ball, they started recognizing it and told me, okay, when I get done with basketball, I don't have to try to keep trying to be relevant to these kids because I'm not playing anymore. So now I can talk to people who don't play ball. So since 2015, that's pretty much what I've been doing. My company's called Work On Your Game, and we just take the mindsets and the strategies to help athletes get to the top 1%. And I translated that over to the business world. And that was more than three minutes, but that's how we got here. Okay. I'm like, my head is spinning and you <laughs> unpacked so many things in there, Dre, which is really Unbelievable. I mean, it's incredible what you did for yourself. And one of the things that popped out to me is mm -hmm. what I talk about a lot with my people is you had a strong belief system. Mm -hmm. You created your belief system in yourself. I think a lot of times people are waiting and well, you know, I guess my question to you is, how would you encourage someone right now listening that doesn't have your belief system? A lot of mm -hmm. people out there struggle to believe they can, to believe, like for me, I help people really realize that you can climb higher than you are right now in this present moment. You don't have to stay on that floor. The ceiling is your floor. Like there are no ceilings here. So, but how do you instill 
that into someone else that doesn't have what you or I have. I want to know your strategy behind that because people come to you for a certain for a certain reason. They want to mm-hmm. believe in themselves the way you believe in themselves. So take right. take us through that process of how you kind of work with someone or give us some tips. It's a great question. And the answer is what you can start doing. The easiest thing anybody can do right now is to borrow somebody else's confidence. And there's a framework that I talk about called the super you. And what the super you is about is you still being yourself, but as you at your highest possible level of confidence. So let me give you an example. So I, I talked about this in one of my one of my TED talks. I talked about this. So there was a kid playing in high school, not me. He's playing on his high school team. And his coach came to practice one day and said, today, what we're going to do is a little different. I'm going to assign each one of you to pretend to be one of your teammates. So he goes down the line. It's like 12 guys on the basketball team. So this kid was normally about the ninth best player on the team nine out of 12 people. So he's mediocre on his best day. So mm-hmm. as the coach goes down the line, he's assigned, you're going to be him, you be him. This kid, nine, ninth best player, he gets assigned to be his teammate, Mike. And his name is Tucker. He gets assigned to be his teammate, Mike. Now, Mike happens to be the best player on the team. He was a college recruit, leading scorer on the team. He was going division one to play basketball. And so my question is at this point, Kelly, you can tell me what you think. How well do you think Tucker played that day in practice when his assignment is to pretend to be his teammate, who's the best player on the team. I'm sure it was up here, meaning high, right? Better, right? Better, right. So, way better. All right. So I always often ask audiences this, yes. and the, some people guess that, and the answer is, you're right. He did. He played better that day than he had ever played in his life. And when he told the story, he said, Dre, I played better that day ever. He was doing moves that he never did before, taking and making shots that he never even tried. His teammates are looking at him slack jaw, like, man, where is this coming from? And what Mike, I mean, not Mike, but Tucker had done is tapped into what we call the super you. So this is different from fake it till you make it. This is not faking it. And the reason why I use that example is to help people understand that when Tucker went and did those moves that he never did before, he wasn't pretending to do the move. He actually did them. And when he took the shots and they went in the basket, they didn't go in the basket by fake or pretend. They went in the basket for real. That really happened. So the difference between the super you and fake it till you make it is that when you fake it till you make it, you are telling yourself, your subconscious mind takes everything you say literally. So it's kind of like the story of uh, Cinderella. Cinderella's story is what? She puts on a glass slipper and all of a sudden she becomes this beautiful woman with this beautiful gown. But eventually the clock strikes midnight and she goes back to the the rags that she was wearing before. And that's what happens when you fake it till you make it is that eventually the faking has to end and you have to go back to who you were before. But when you tap into the super you, you're still being yourself. You borrow the confidence from another person for long enough that you can get into your frame, you go out and perform. And now the next time you can use yourself as a reference point instead of using somebody else. So what I let's say, for example, a basketball player, who's your favorite player? And they say, well, I like Steph Curry. Okay, well, how would Steph Curry walk onto the court? All right, how would he come into the game? What kind of energy would he have? Now you step into that frame, you go out there and perform. Now, next game, you can use yourself as a reference point because you just did it. So now you don't have to pretend to be anybody else. So to answer your question is borrowing the confidence from someone who is already in that frame. You go do what you need to do. And now you can reference yourself. Oh, this is so good. I love this. I love talking about this because I believe like what you're saying is, it's the environment that you're in, really. Mm-hmm. If you feel stuck and you don't believe in yourself, who are, first I have to ask my listeners, who are you hanging with? 
Are they in the same places as you and not going anywhere? Because that's what I'm hearing. You put yourself in the court with people that are winners and that are climbing higher, then you will naturally go that way if you keep showing up with those people. I believe so powerfully that who we hang around is really what how we are. And what we focus on does grow, like you mentioned. You know, it's so true. I love that you touched on that. Um, I love borrowing someone else's confidence. That really resonated with me because I never thought about, about it like that, Dre. I was, but as I think about myself, putting myself in the rooms with high achieving women has made me realize my own potential. I have what it takes because they're doing it. If somebody else is doing it, then you know it's possible. And that's where it all starts, right? So yeah. I love, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. That was a really yes. good good story. So let's talk a little bit though about for all the people saying, okay, this is all great. You guys are great. You're climbing, doing your thing, but what about our failures? And tell us about a time when you failed at something and how did you take the first step out of that? What were your um, reactions to failure? Did you get right back up? Did you stay in the pity party? And what steps did you take? If somebody right now is like, oh, I failed again. Maybe it's on their diet. Maybe they started going to the gym and they went two weeks and they quit already. You know, they feel like a failure. So tell us about that side and how people can really gain their strength back. What do you do? Great question. So, of course, I had the setbacks playing sports, but even as an entrepreneur, you know, as an entrepreneur, when you put out you no know, products, services, offers, right, sometimes they just flop. Sometimes you don't sell anything and things just don't work. Oh, yeah. And right. And I tell people I've had more than so many, I can't list them all. But the thing is, I tell people that the feedback that you get from the marketplace is just data, it's just information. All it is is data. So you try out for the, the sports team in high school. You don't make it. You just got data from the marketplace. That for whatever reason, they weren't interested. You put out a course or you put a, a book out or you have some event you think you're going to do and you float the idea and nobody responds. That's just data from the marketplace. That's something about either how you presented it, what you presented or what you were asking in exchange just didn't land with that audience the right way. That's all it is. It's just data. Mm-hmm. So you have to look at it all as information. Now, is it that simple? Does it happen that quickly? Usually not, because when it's our own stuff, we're so connected to it, we may emotionalize it. We may look at ourselves in the mirror, think something's wrong with us. Maybe uh, we got these these are the wrong customers and none of my audience has any money. You know, whatever we want to tell ourselves about why things aren't working, right? We come up with all these stories. But this is the reason why, as you just alluded to, Kelly, having the right people around you who can kind of check you and say, wait a minute, let's let's back up here. Maybe you just offered this to the wrong people. Maybe you didn't present it the right way. Maybe the price point's not in the right space. Maybe the way you talked about it, you didn't emphasize the right points. All of these could be reasons why. Now let's just deconstruct everything. Let's figure out what the actual issue is, as opposed to having a pity party or feeling sorry for ourselves because things didn't work out. So that's why it's very important that we be able to, you got to be able to step outside of yourself step outside of yourself and kind of get over yourself in some ways and stop looking at it so emotionally and be able to look at things dispassionately, especially when they don't work. Because when things don't work, there's a reason why they don't work. And it's usually not that anything's wrong with us, especially if we've done things successfully in the past. It's just a matter of we had to get the right formula. So what I tell, uh, the thing I like to tell people is data over drama, all right? Data over drama. Let's just get look at the data. Let's figure out what actually happened here. And let's not make this a big uh, emotional uh, crying game. Oh my gosh. So good. I mean, 
guys, don't you love him? He's like right to the point, like no BS. Let's just tell it like it is. Say it like it is. Okay. I failed. I got to go back and don't just throw the towel in, go back and evaluate what you did. And maybe the steps along the way that you can possibly change to try again. It doesn't mean you have to quit. I mean, this is what it's all about. Staying addicted to the climb, you're going to fail. It ha- it's going to happen no matter what, right? And, and it's just a matter of how, I think for you, Dre, like your perspective is everything. The way you look at it, like, okay, so it didn't work out the way I wanted. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go this way now. I'm going to take this path now. I'm going to reach out to these people. And I think that keeps people stuck. They don't do that. That's what keeps people in the same place month after month, year after year, starting over again so many times, but not going anywhere. So good, solid points again. Now, tell us how you really keep your mental toughness at a high. I mean, do you ever have moments where you're like crumbling a little bit? And, and tell me about strengthening your mental state. Do you, do you, is there a routine you do every day or do you wake up every morning and start your day a certain way? Because I know that when people don't have a routine in place to work on their mental toughness, their mindset, just like we have to work on our muscles in our bodies, like we can't just be strong in our bodies if we're not going to the gym all the time. So our mindset, let's dive into that part of... Um, what you have to say about that and how you keep yours very strong. Great question. So answer a couple of those. Do I ever have times where I feel like I'm crumbling a bit? If I do, it only lasts about 60 to 90 seconds and then it's over and then I, I get over it. Why? Because, and the reason is not because I'm Superman, it's because I've conditioned my mind for this stuff. So we call it, I call it mental conditioning. And it's one of the, the biggest principles that we have here at at work on your game and mental conditioning works similar to physical conditioning. So going to the sports world, for example, we know that athletes who play any kind of running sport, like football, basketball, something like that, is that they do some sort of running activities to get in shape for the game, right? We do it in the off season and preseason. And they call that physical conditioning. Now, why do athletes do physical conditioning? A lot of people incorrectly believe or they they get it halfway right that the reason that a basketball or football player does the sprints up and down the field or up and down the court is so that in the game, when they run, they won't get tired. But that's not true. So you could take the best athlete in the world, take them to a football field or a basketball court, have them sprint 10 times back and forth. They will feel fatigue. I don't care how great of a shape you're in. The difference is the person who is well conditioned, they only need about 30 seconds of rest before they can go right back to it. Whereas the person who is poorly conditioned might need 30 minutes or 30 days before they can go back to it. And it's the same thing when it comes to mindset. When you are well conditioned mentally, when it comes to mental toughness, yes, you have times when you are annoyed, frustrated, uh, sad, pissed off, angry. Somebody does something they weren't supposed to do. You messed up on something. Something just goes the wrong direction from where it was supposed to go. And you get uh, thrown off by that. That happens to every individual on the planet. The difference is the person who is mentally tough is only annoyed or thrown off their game for 30 seconds before they get right back to it. Whereas the person who is not well conditioned, it might take them 30 days before they get back to it. Or it might be five years later and they're still using that same thing that happened five years later, five years ago as an excuse for why they're doing nothing today. So that's what the mental toughness is about. It's not, can you avoid anything ever happening? It's how do you deal with something when it does happen? And there's a difference between strength and toughness. See, strength is your capability, what you're capable of, what you could do. So if you go to the gym, like I go to the gym every day, 
you go to the gym, you see a lot of people in there with big muscles and they're, they're ripped and they can lift all these weights. That's strength. That's what you're capable of doing. But toughness is not proven in the workout gym where you're lifting weights and taking Instagram photos. Toughness is proven when you're in an actual situation and something happens. Then let's see what you do with those muscles. There's a difference between the two. So strength is capability. Toughness is what you actually do. That's your actual performance. Does that answer your question? Yes. And it's and it's very true because what you said is that you only last in those moments, 60 to 90 seconds. And somebody might be mm. like, whoa. But honestly, you guys, it this takes practice. It takes you putting in the effort to want to get out of the situation and pick yourself back up over and over and over. It's like a daily ritual because like we said, we don't know what the day is going to bring and things happen to us during the day. We have setbacks. We, I mean, for me, I, I woke up one day to a breast cancer diagnosis. I mean, I had no idea. I, here I am the fit girl in my community leading hundreds of women in the fitness space. And here I was being diagnosed with. So we don't know what is lies ahead, but we do have control of our thoughts in our mindset and how we respond to the situations. And I think that's what you said is you practice choosing the positive in moving forward and getting back up on your feet over and over and over and over again. So when those setbacks do take place, when they do happen, you get punched in the face, you can get back up faster. I think it comes down to practicing because I remember sitting in my own pity parties, Dre, through everything that I've been through, like my book, Addicted to the Climb, is 30 stories that I wrote of things I've personally been through from death, cancer, all these things that went on my, in my own life. And I remember early on sitting in those places for far too long and they didn't get me anywhere except held me back. I felt host a hostage to my, my life and my circumstance. Now I can get back on my feet faster because I practice getting back on my feet faster. So I think there's a difference. And that's what I'm hearing from you is now when things happen, you address it, you get back up and you just, and you just go because that's the way you're choosing to live your life. And that's really mm. the only way if you want to be successful in every area of your life mentally first. Right. So I love that. I love mental conditioning. That is so good. So good. Well, okay. There's so many things we could talk about. I, I love this so much, Dre. I hope my listeners are like getting so many, you know, just feeling encouraged. All right. I mm -hmm. hope you guys are really feeling encouraged right now. And I want to talk about, you have mentioned discipline and passion in one of your posts, and they are yeah. very different things. I want to talk about that because I'm such a person that loves talking about and helping my own clients become disciplined in what they're doing. Our passion, we get passionate in a moment and then the passion's gone. It, so I want to hear your version of being disciplined over being passionate and how one doesn't lead to the other and vice versa. hundred percent. Great question. And adding something to what I talked to what I said in the previous question, I didn't even yeah. answer everything. I forgot. Okay. Uh, how, how can you actually train yourself for that mental toughness, that conditioning? It's a matter of what you're consuming on a day to day basis. So do you have your goals written down? Do you have a set of personal principles, a personal philosophy that you abide by? Because all your strategies come from the principles and the tactics come from the strategies. And yeah. you should have those principles in place. Like, uh, I was telling somebody yesterday, Napoleon Hill has 17 principles of success and principles don't change. Our right? principles are like the 10 commandments. All right. They're etched in stone. They don't change. They are inflexible and they're non-negotiable. Do you have personal principles? Do you know what they are? Do you have them written down? 
All right. Can you recite them to yourself? You should know what they are and you can come up with your own. And it's what you're taking in on a daily basis. So this is why some people meditate. Some people do, I guess they call it mindfulness now. Whatever you do to get yourself in that right mental state, we have to do that every single day. So that's the when it comes to the mental toughness part to add on to that last answer. Thank you. All right. Of course. Now, as far as the the discipline versus passion, I think that was uh, something I just posted the other day uh, that why discipline matters more than passion, because we have always heard people say, well, do what you love or follow your passion. And no, that's how you can figure out your career or what you want to do with your life, because I'm sure you have people in your world who come to you, Kelly, and say, well, I don't know what, what I want to do with myself. And they have been told to follow their passions, but they followed it and they ended up lost. Right. So <laughs> the thing is, <laughs> I heard uh, Mark Cuban over on Shark Tank. I heard him say this once. I don't know if he said it on Shark Tank, but he said it that you don't want to follow your passion. You want to follow your activity because that's what you're actually doing. Like you could be passionate about something, but not good at it. Right. I'm passionate about no music. I like music, but I can't sing and I can't rap. Right. So I could be passionate about it, but I'm not, that doesn't mean I should do it for a living. Right. So what I want to follow is my discipline. And what you find your discipline is what you actually spend time doing, what you are consistent at, because if you're going to do anything at the professional level, the definition of professional is someone who does something as their main paid occupation. And why would anybody pay you to do something? It's because you're consistent at it. Yes. And discipline leads to consistency or consistency can lead to discipline, depending on how you set it up. So why discipline matters more than passion is passion is a barely controllable emotion. That's the definition of passion, a barely controllable emotion. Now, let me ask anyone here a question. Would you want your car driven by someone who's under the influence of barely controllable emotions? Probably not. Would you want your life driven by barely controllable emotions? You probably would not. And what I tell people is the, the metaphor here is, Emotions are great gas pedals, but they are terrible steering wheels. All right. You don't want your emotions driving the vehicle. You don't want them handling the wheel because they'll run you into a wall. Mm -hmm. But you want your logic and your discipline controlling the steering wheel. And you want to use your emotions on the gas pedal. Because as soon as you decide this is the direction that I'm going, then you use your passion to push you in that direction. But passion does not get to make the choices because emotion clouds your judgment. Right, that's what it does. Any kind of emotion, positive or negative emotion, clouds judgment. And you don't want to be making decisions about your life with emotion. So that's why discipline matters, because discipline is predictable. It is consistent. You know exactly what you're going to get and you get the same things the same way every time. And if anybody is paying you for something or you are paying for something, do you want uncontrollable, uncontrollable energy or do you want something you can depend on? You know exactly what you're going to get. So think about the last time the Wi-Fi stopped working in your home. Right? We get annoyed. Right? We're calling the company. Right? It's five minutes. So we're calling the company. We're pissed off. We're tweeting them. It's only been five minutes. Why? Because we're paying for it and we expect something. That's what discipline is. You pay for it and you expect a certain thing every single time. We do not pay for surprises. No, most people say they like surprises, but no, you like the surprises that you want. Right? You don't like the surprises that you don't want. Discipline is no surprises. It's consistency. You know exactly what you're getting. And human beings are creatures of habit. And that's the reason why discipline is so valuable. And that's why discipline is the hallmark of the professional. Absolutely. And I love what you said about um, discipline is your activity, what you do during the day. So listen, if you're sitting around and, you know, trying to get in shape what are you doing? If you were so passionate about starting that new program and that new diet or that new fitness plan and you went two times, well, what are you doing during the day? I love that. I love how you said it's the activity that you're doing daily. And that's how you establish better, ha you know, your habits come from that. You know, the discipline leads into better habits. It's what you do every single day. And like for me, I wanted to build my faith 
deeper. So how am I supposed to build my faith deeper? I can't just be passionate about building my faith deeper. I had to actually put time in with God, read my Bible, pray, and take daily action every single day so I can get closer to God, so I can build my faith strong. And it's the same in every area of your life. So when you find that you're passionate about something, really stop and think about what am I doing every single day that's going to get me to that whatever I'm passionate about, okay? I love that. I love talking about that too because so many people are so emotional, so passionate about things, and then it fizzles in before they even start and they wonder why. They don't have anything put in place. They don't have any practices, any habits. So you guys got to think about that. Now, I also love that you said, and I don't know if you post, you talk about this, but you talk about positive expectation. And I think mm -hmm. that is so important. I love, I love talking about this too, because, you know, I think it's what we believe is how it can be, you know, like, I want you to talk about having positive expectation of your circumstances of what you were trying to accomplish in life. Talk a little about that too. Great question. So I tell people the expectations that in the long run of life, you get what you expect. And uh, sometimes you hear people say things like, well, you should expect nothing because you expect nothing that you can't be disappointed. And that's uh, that's that's loser talk. Uh, expecting nothing is setting yourself up to lose, because yes. if you don't expect anything, you won't get anything. And the thing about expectations is not just about you sitting there thinking about it or saying it or writing it down. And when you have a real expectation of something, you take action around it. So if you expect it to if you walk to work every day, you walk home and you expect it to rain. What do you do? You carry an umbrella. If you expect to be in great shape, then you probably have a membership to a gym. All right, if you expect to do, if you expect to read books, you probably go on Amazon and you buy some books. You can actually sit down and read them. Whatever you expect to do, you take actions around that expectation. So I suggest to people that you have great expectations and then you have the discipline to actually do the work and you put the structure in place or get the structure in place to actually follow through on those expectations by doing the things that set you up for it. So whatever you're expecting in life, you have to take the actions around making those things happen. And the challenge for a lot of people is simply you're around people who don't have great expectations. And, and we know the law of association, you become the average of the people you spend the most time with. So if you're hanging around people who have low expectations, that it feels normal to have low expectations. But if you get around people who have high expectations, then it feels normal to have high expectations. And you won't feel right if your expectations are out of alignment with the people that you're spending time around. So that's why it's so important to get around the right people, even if you're not physically in their space. If you're listening to Addicted to the Climb every single day, then Kelly can be one of your associations, even if you never met her, right? right. Your association can be somebody whose book you read or that you follow them on Instagram or you watch their YouTube because you're listening to their voice and that is affecting you on subconscious levels the more you consume of anything from another person. So that's why having those expectations matter so much. And if you want to raise your expectations, the simplest way to do it is to get around someone who clearly by their outcomes and their actions and their energy has higher expectations than you. And if you just hang around them, the things that they say, the way that they say it, the way they conduct themselves is going to start to have an effect on you, even if you don't explicitly notice it. And this is why that, that law of association is what it is. Oh my gosh. That has been a life changer, a game changer for me personally, being in the room again with people that have high expectations makes you want to win. It just puts right. you in a different mindset space. So mm -hmm. again, you guys, 
if you're just over here saying, look at Dre, look at Kelly. I mean, they're just successful. And whatever you're thinking about us, we've put the work in. We've put our place ourselves in the places, in the spaces, in the rooms, in the environments, listening, consuming, because I do believe what you said, what you consume is really going to pour out of you in some way. So if you're consuming a lot of garbage on TV or, you know, just consuming gossip through your conversations, nobody's going at complaints all day, then that's really, you have to really evaluate where you are in your circles. And then if you want to make changes, it's up to you. You have to just put the work in because it didn't, I, I know for you, Dre, you have that mindset, a very strong, tough. I mean, you started reading um, Kiyosaki's book when you were young and you had, you were driven as a young boy, but you know, it does take work. Nothing happens overnight. No one's an overnight success. Everything takes work. So if you're trying to get from A to B and you're struggling, what are you doing every day? You have to stop and really pause and write it out. Like you said, I love how you said, you know, write out your goals. What are you writing out every day? Are you really focused on, on do you have non-negotiables? It all matters, you guys, to get up that next climb. So if somebody is at the very bottom, Dre, and they're a beginner, they're just listening to us right now saying, oh, I just wish I could just know the first thing to do. What do I do? What would you suggest a couple steps for somebody that's really at the bottom of that mountain looking up? It's it's so foggy that they can't even see upward. And where do you tell that person to start? Uh, starting point of success is making a decision that you're going to be successful. That's a starting point is a decision. And the, the word decision, the root word is incision. Incision means the cutoff. So it's cutting off any possibilities of any other thing happening. So that's the starting point is deciding that this is going to happen. Whatever it is that I'm going to find a way to make myself successful or make myself happy or make myself healthy or maybe a combination of all of those. That's the first thing is deciding that this is happening and is non-negotiable. There is no plan B. That's the first step. Then the next step is figuring out. And that goes around, around the mindset. And then you're conditioning yourself for that, meaning you need to be reminding yourself of that decision on a daily basis and consuming any material from any person or persons who can help keep keep reminding you of that idea so it can stay stuck in your mind because telling yourself something one time is not enough. It has to be drilled into your mind. That's why it's conditioning. If you're an athlete, conditioning, we don't do it one time. We do it every day, right? When it comes to mental conditioning, it's not one time. It's every day. So that's the that's the first start. That's the starting point. Second point on top of the mindset is the strategy. What's the game plan to actually do it? So now you have to know what you actually want to do. So you want to be successful. Well, successful at what? That's what you that's the next step. Figuring out where do you want to be successful? How do you want to be successful? What does it look like? Get detailed about that. Even if you don't know how you're going to do it, get detailed about what you want. Get clear on the goal. This is kind of like anyone you get in your car and you're driving in a town you've never been in before and you need to get somewhere, what do you do? You plug it into the navigation, but you put it in your phone or you put in the GPS on your car. You say, I want to go to 14th street, whatever the address is. And what does the GPS do? It gives you a roadmap from where you are to where you need to go. And even if you happen to mess up, you make a wrong turn on the map. What does it do? It recalibrates the map to help you get there, even though you went the wrong direction on the last turn. That's what a good strategy does. And that's what a good strategist will help you do if you're not that strategist for yourself. And then the third part is the system. 
system is how do you actually do this over and over again? How can I continue to do this and make it work like clockwork again, going back to the discipline part, which is what makes you a professional is that you can do things over and over and over again, same things the same way every time so that you and others know exactly what they're going to get from you. They come to expect it, depend on it. And when someone expects and depends on something, they'll pay for it. All right. And then you have a business opportunity. So that's how you get started. I love it. Those are great. Thank you so much. I hope you guys are writing this stuff down. What a blessing. Honestly, Dre, you have just, even if nobody else heard this today, I feel very encouraged. And I just want to thank you for that because just being in the space of people that are so driven and empowering and want, I know that you are a person that wants to see others win. That's why you do what you do because you're a cheerleader. You want to see people win. You want to help them climb higher. So we are all in this family. So appreciative of all the work that you're doing. So before we close out, I usually ask my guests, what are you climbing towards next, whether it's your personal life or your business? Tell us. Great question. So, well, number one, I got a seven-month-old, almost seven-month-old son. So, uh, Thank you. So uh, hoping that he his teeth come in. I think he's in some discomfort right now. His teeth are coming oh, in. So he's been, yeah. he's been whining a lot for the last week. And soon, hopefully, he'll be walking, let's say, by the end of the year. So now I can get him on the basketball court and teach him <laughs> teach him his real job. Oh, boy. Oh, then, boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's, that's one on the personal side. And then on the business side, really just uh, building out our universities, working with your game university. That's where I do all my coaching and everything like that. So we send everybody there. And that's really the biggest thing right now is just building out that coaching program, getting people in there, creating more success stories. And yeah, that's it. Those two things. Amazing. I mean, that's that's a lot. First of all, just the baby is a lot. Yeah. God bless with that. Thank you. <laughs> you have a it's going to be awesome. All the stages of baby life. There's so much fun. Embrace them. And oh, my baby, sorry, was just calling me <laughs> my 16 year old baby. But okay. anyways, I am so appreciative again of you. I wish you the best of success in everything you're doing. Make sure you guys are following Dre so you can reach out to him and connect with him for any kind of questions, his university, whatever Dre's got going on. So tell us where they should connect with you. Uh, the best place to connect with me or social media wise is Instagram is probably my most active. My Instagram is just okay. my name at Dre Baldwin. Uh, I do have a daily motivation text. I send out every day for free. My number is 305-384-6894. I'm sure we'll have that in the, the show notes. Okay. And yeah, work on your game university.com. Uh, it's easy okay. to remember. So that's where you can go if you want to go deeper with me. And that's the university. That's where you get all the courses, coaching, all of that. I love it. Thank you so much for being here today and just sharing all those amazing golden nuggets that you did. I am feeling empowered. I pray that you guys, all that are listening, just feel blessed today by the message, all the teachings Dre gave us. And make sure you guys reach out to him. So thanks, Dre, for being here. Until next week, you guys, keep on climbing. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for being here every week because my goal is to always empower and inspire you so you can keep on climbing even when life gets tough. If you felt blessed today, it would mean the world to me if you subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And one of the ways you can help me is if you would leave me a five-star rating and a review. This is really how I can help more people just like you. You can do this right on your podcast app on your phone. It's super easy. It will only take one minute. Also, if you want to be part of my private community on Facebook, 
head over there to Faith, Fuel, and Fitness, and I'll meet you inside. Or you can even head over to my website, kellytian.com, to get more inspiration and resources to keep you on your own climb. Thank you again and have a healthy and happy week.